0: trying to do the things that I thought God wanted me to do, be nice to people and not cheat, lie, steal, all those things. When I was doing all of those things, it was like I felt good about myself. And I felt like if God wanted to use me, that was good. But the second I made a mistake, the second that I missed a day of prayer, I had to spiral all the way to the bottom. I beat myself all the way to the bottom. And then I had to pay penance for it. Basically, I had to be on myself. How could you do that? You've been raised in a pastor's home. How could you make a mistake like that? How could you not pray every day? You are taking all of this for granted.
1: Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, a licensed professional counselor and nationally board certified counselor in the state of Alabama. The focus of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to have real conversations concerning taboo topics that people in the church may find themselves struggling with or feel they may not be able to talk about. The topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. These topics are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological or mental health advice, nor is it a substitute for a diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Right now, let's get started.
2: Hey everyone, thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast today. I wanted to just say thank you for your patience because I'm not always consistent getting interviews out. And a lot of the reason for that was because I had been in school, been taking classes, trying to become fully licensed, and I was doing a research project. So it was a lot of different things. But something I wanted to say, if you had not noticed in this episode, in the last episode, that the intro had actually changed a little bit, before in the intro it was announced that i was an associate licensed counselor under the supervision of contina stroud so going forward i am now a licensed professional counselor which means i am fully licensed in the state of alabama and i no longer have to be under supervision and the reason why I'm bringing that up, because for several interviews that I have done, you might hear me say I'm an associate licensed counselor. The reason why you hear me say that is because this was from an interview when I was an associate licensed counselor. So just be aware of that. One thing also, this interview today that you will be listening to was actually a year ago. If that doesn't tell you anything. Yes, I've been really busy. I have lots of interviews coming up. Hopefully I can put out more now that I don't have so many irons in my fire. But this is actually from a year ago. I really appreciate Mandy Elms for coming on and just talking from her heart about dealing with shame. So if I have two short announcements, and then after that, that interview will begin. So thank you so much for your patience, and I appreciate you listening and being a part of the Real Talk 238 podcast. We will be right back after these two announcements. With all the recent negative headlines in regard to church negligence in reporting, it is more important now than ever for churches and ministry to be proactive so they aren't the next headline for a major news network or on social media. How many times have you questioned if a situation or behavior was reportable? As a church leader, how often have you feared being targeted by an individual because you didn't know what procedures or steps that you needed to take as a mandated reporter? Felicia Miller of Greater Purpose Counseling has a solution for you. I was able to interview her on episode 25 about her church risk management paperwork packet that she has created and has well designed to protect churches and ministry from being the next negative hot topic in a news broadcast or on social media. Her paperwork addresses issues like having domestic violence, sexual abuse, elder abuse, and suicidal ideation. By using her church risk management paperwork, churches and ministry can take steps to protect themselves because the paperwork clearly outlines what is reportable. Protect your ministry and church from being the next headline. For more information, contact Felicia Miller at fmiller, that's F-M-I-L-L-E-R, at greaterpurposecounseling.com. Again, that's fmiller at greaterpurposecounseling.com. If you are a pastor's wife, a minister's wife, or a woman in ministry, then you will want to listen to this important announcement for some exciting news. Coming July 22nd and 23rd of 2022, There will be a retreat in Sill, Alabama that is specifically for pastor's wives, minister's wives, and women in ministry. The theme of this retreat is called Resolute and Refresh and is being hosted by the Real Talk 238 podcast. The definition of resolute is admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering. The reason this retreat is called Resolute and Refresh is because women who are the wife of a pastor, the wife of a minister, or who are involved in ministry understand how important it is to be purposeful, determined, and unwavering. These women also understand that no matter what level or capacity they serve, there are times when a few days away are needed so that they can be the best they can be for their spouses, their families, and their churches that they serve. The purpose of this retreat is to invite women together who are involved in ministry so they can specifically be ministered to and be refreshed. Women who attend this retreat will have a place to just get away for a few days so they can be supported, refreshed, and return to their churches feeling rejuvenated. The cost of registration for the Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministry Retreat will include three meals, a great lineup of speakers, and two options of where you will want to stay. The best deal is to stay on site, but there are nearby hotels available at a discounted rate. The lineup for this retreat is Carla Burton, Jessica Marquez, Denise Lee, Tara Lynn Anderson, and Michelle Corbin. Corporate prayer will be conducted by Selena Gleason, and music will be by Allison Batten. The last day to register is July 3, 2022. Register now before June 13th because the cost of registration will increase. For more information, go to Resolute and Refresh Ladies' Ministry page on Facebook, or you can send an email at LM at gmail.com. That's LM at gmail.com. Now, for the Real Talk 238 podcast, here we go. Hey everyone, welcome to listening to today's podcast on the Real Talk 238. I am your host, Denise Lee. And today my guest is Mandy Elms. I am so excited to have her on the podcast. She's from Hornet, Texas. She is a stay at home mom and pastor's wife. Actually, I think she's so much more than that. She is creative. She, I mean, they just had a booth at camp meeting selling. Hair thingies. I'll let her share that with you a little bit later. She is married to Andrew Elms and they have been married for 21 years. They have three girls and they have one pet. What is your pet? A poodle. A poodle. Annie the poodle. They pastor at Great Apostolic Tabernacle and they've been there for 12 years. She's the worship leader and of course the pastor's wife. And I'm sure she does a lot more than just that as all my pastor wife friends, I know they, they have a lot more irons in the fire than, than they usually admit. And she describes herself as loving God first and foremost, that he has changed her life, healed her, delivered her and set her free. He's her response for everything else. She loves her family and friends deeply. She enjoys laughter and it's been the gift of laughter that has brightened many dark days. Her husband and children are second only to God, and next is her amazing church family. She loves people, and she loves seeing the kingdom of God prosper, and a fun fact about her is that she loves corny jokes, and she shared one. She said, did you hear about the kid who swallowed dynamite? His hair came out in bangs, <laughs> so I- it's just I laughed about that one. That was hilarious. Hi Mandy, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Is there anything you would like to add to to that intro? Well you say I like corny jokes. So though.
0: a lot of my friends follow me whenever I travel. I always do corny jokes and I'll post joke after joke and people even if they don't know we're going somewhere, they come on there and they're like, Are you traveling again? And you have to laugh, you know, laughter is good like a medicine
2: it is it does really good like a medicine i met you through facebook and i came across you when texas was having all that snow that was an event so i was really curious and here i just see this very creative woman coming up with stuff to do with <laughs> her kids like making colored
0: we were making marbles they were ice marbles we didn't leave them long enough so that the ice and the, on the deep on the inside was still water. And so when we started taking the balloons off, they started popping and made a mess. And then we attempted an icicle where we would drip different colored waters from a milk jug. And so we got a huge, tall icicle. But our water in the jug kept freezing because it was so cold outside. We couldn't keep it dripping. Well, it was all fun and games until we lost electricity. And then it wasn't fun. We weren't playing any more games. So we were trying to stay warm. Uh, I think it got 48 degrees was the lowest temperature that we saw in our house that looked. So we have a fireplace. We were almost out of firewood. So we were trying to get enough firewood to stay warm. And we managed. We, I think we were without electricity for about three days and we would get it off and on in there just intermittently. We managed to always have hot water. I don't know how that happened because we would lose electricity, which I would think the water in the water heater wouldn't be able to stay hot if you were without electricity that cold for so long. but.
2: The Lord blessed us and we kept hot water and we kept warm. We were fine. That's awesome. It made me think of back in 2014, we had a horrible, horrible ice storm stuck out on the interstate. I mean, like it was a parking lot. I didn't have a blanket with me, but I just listened to what they said on the radio, which was start your car, warm it up and then shut it off. And that's what I did all night long. My gas lasted all throughout the night. So, you know, yeah, God is good. And then I ended up being the call-in person for the radio station because nobody was calling in about where I was at. And they're like, hey, can you be our person? Like, yeah, it's always interesting. But God always does bring us through in those tight and difficult and unplanned situations for sure. So today I had asked you sometime back about being on my podcast because I saw this video that you had done And I do, I enjoy your videos. They're always very entertaining to say the least, especially like the ones about the caterpillars you guys had done. But when you're a homeschool mom, that's what you do. But there was one time you had got online and I think you just had been to a ladies conference if I'm not mistaken. Now are you also part of the district? Yeah,
0: I'm the I'm the secretary for the North Texas District for the Ladies Department.
2: Yeah, so you're very busy to say the least, but you got on there and you started talking about shame. And that is why I wanted you to come on the podcast today to talk about shame like your experience and everybody deals with various types of shame on various levels but for some people it can be it can be so challenging and it can be so difficult especially when it's been over a course of several years sometimes a lifelong thing about how old were you when you first realized this is what this is I guess I'll just go back
0: to that to that time my husband and I had gone to
2: a conference in
0: Houston and he and I together, separately in our lives before we got married. And then even together, we always had a hunger for God and for the things of God. Every conference we went to, every camp meeting, every service we attended, we were so hungry. We were the first ones in the altar. We would linger in the altar. and It was always like, man, if that guest preacher, if he'll just pray for me, then I know our relationship with God will go where it needs to go. And I remember going through all those things so In that hunger, I particularly one day was thinking, I I don't think we have enough fear of God and I don't think I hear enough preaching about hell. So I literally got on YouTube and I looked up a video on hell, trying to find a, a minister preaching about it. So I came across Brother Chester Wright and he was preaching um, the seven horrors of hell. And he's an apostolic minister. He's a district superintendent in the Maryland district. I think he's just resigned that. He was up until this last conference that they voted. Um, I watched that video and it impacted my life. I shared it with my husband, and he didn't really want to listen to it. He told Bishop, he said, I didn't want to watch you because a perception I had of you, something that I have in the past, he was like, I'm not listening to that. So, you know, I didn't push. We moved on. A, a little while after that, my husband was looking for something on prayer. We had done um, Praying Through the Tabernacle Plan. He had taught that to the church. He was just looking for something on prayer, and he ran across a video of Brother Wright teaching for two hours to children young people at camp on prayer So he said okay this man is teaching to young people for two solid hours on prayer then I want to know what he has to say and so whenever he watched that video he says it revolutionized his life it completely changed so much of what he knew and what he thought about prayer. So that kind of started our journey. And then fast forward to a few years later, my husband and I had gone down to a meeting where Bishop was going to be, and we had asked him to become our Bishop. My husband and I both grew up in the homes of pastors and our dads were always our pastors, which is a wonderful thing, but it also can be a difficult thing, especially whenever you launch out and you're in that position yourself. Your parents tend to preserve the relationship of father-child, and sometimes they won't be as blunt with you as they need to be to correct you.
2: You mean like they, they're trying to protect you like a, like a parent and childhood. They're
0: trying to preserve the relationship between me and them. Like my dad wouldn't get in my face and tell me you're wrong and you don't need to do that because I'm a 40 year old lady and he doesn't want to damage the relationship between he and I. So We needed somebody in our life that didn't really care about our feelings and didn't care if they hurt our feelings. We needed somebody to keep us straight. My husband really felt like Brother Wright was that person. He had prayed about it. Obviously, our parents are always influential in our lives, and I look to them for direction. But you need somebody who has complete veto power, that you're not afraid that they're making a decision just because they love you. You know they're telling you what they feel like God would say. We um, went down to Houston to meet with him, and I think it was a, a Thursday. You're just listening, and there's not music. There's not it's just just word. It's just me, honestly. So that day, I think Brother Shelton was was speaking, and it, he's just talking the same way I'm talking. It's just just ministering, and as I'm sitting there, I begin to feel, I guess you would say, more of impartation. It wasn't actually necessarily all the things he was saying, although they were affecting me, but there was. Something was happening in my spirit and it just began to build and build. So there came a point where I'm literally trembling in my body. It was the power of God was so strong. I'm trembling. Then I was sitting real close to my husband because it was freezing cold in that building. And so he's feeling me begin to tremble. I felt like I was going to erupt. So I, I didn't want to disturb. I didn't want to assert myself because I was full of shame. So I didn't want to make a big scene or, you know, because then everybody's going to look at me and they're going to know that I'm not perfect. I was trying to be real quiet and I just started speaking in tongues, real lightly under my breath, almost like a pressure cooker, trying to let that steam off just to keep it calm down. This is probably going on for three to five minutes. I'm just feeling it so strong, but I can't respond to it. And then all of a sudden I have my eyes closed. So I am just listening Uh, from the front row, another man begins to speak in tongues loudly and very forcefully. And so it was like, Oh wow. Okay. I'm not crazy. This is God. He's doing what I'm feeling. And then the man who was preaching, I didn't even know he knew who I was. I'd never met him before. And he said, Sister Elms, that's the Holy Ghost. Let that out. So whenever he said that, it almost was just like a gut punch, just involuntary, just shot out at me. And it was very strong tongues and just such a strong power of the Holy Ghost. Then I subsided and it happened again. He told me again, don't control that. Let it, let it go. So I did. And That day we went to eat with Brother Wright because he was talking to us personally if he was going to be our bishop. I didn't hardly say anything at the table. I listened to my husband and he talked. I get back to the room that night and we're switching clothes to go back to church. We didn't have much time. And while I'm changing clothes, all of that shame from the past begins to come in my mind. And I asked my husband, I said, babe, do you think that that was really God today like what I spoke in tongues and what I was feeling. Do you think that was really God? And he just looks at me like I've lost my mind. And he was like, of course it was God. He said, you could feel the power of the Holy Ghost. And he's just, why are you even questioning this? But I was being tormented in my mind because my ideas of people being used of God equals that person's perfect. And I know me and I know I'm not. And so if that happened, then maybe that isn't God, because I'm not what I think those other people are. So we're, we're getting ready, and, and he looked at me, and he said, I'm going to ask Bishop about this tonight. Well, that terrified me, because he's going to expose me. Nobody can know that I deal with all this stuff. I've got to hide it all. But at this point, I think in my life, I've dealt with this for so long. That I was like, you know what, I don't even care anymore. Who cares if he calls me out in church and stands me up in the front and tells the whole world every thought I've ever had at this point, if it would get help, then okay, let's do that, whatever it takes.
2: So you said that you've dealt with this pretty much your whole life. Now, did your husband know when you guys first met and after you got married, I mean, was he even aware of the struggle?
0: I think it would manifest itself in social situations. I never felt comfortable with my peers with other ministers' wives, or we were on the youth district board. My husband was the youth director for our section for a number of years. So we would go to those things where we had to intermingle and interact with them, and I always felt less than. I always tried to cover up and do all the right things, like make sure my hair was just right, make sure I wore the right clothes, make sure to compensate because of what I have perceived them to be and what I knew I was. I think that would probably be frustrating, like he would, we would want to go eat with people, but I was so uncomfortable. I just couldn't be myself around them. If I perceived anybody as I looked up to them or they were better than me or higher than me in all things, in social status, in looks, in size, any of those things, if I felt like they were better than me, then I was very uncomfortable around them. But if I perceived somebody as less than me, then I was comfortable with them because I don't even know why. I think I needed that assurance. And I was so uncomfortable with who I was that if I felt like I was better than them, then I could be okay being with them and interacting with them. But if I felt that my value or my worth was threatened by somebody else, I wasn't comfortable with that. And I couldn't be myself. And I was quiet and shy and hide in the corner until I could get out of the situation. But in a situation where I felt that I was superior then I could I could be the greatest friend. And I, I've seen this in other people. After you're free from all those things, you see those characteristics that some people, it's like their split personality when they're with this group of people, they're completely open and free and happy and can do and say whatever they want to do and say, but you put them in a different situation where they feel like they're the other people are superior to them and they're not comfortable.
2: I was just thinking about that because I mean I have been in situations like ministerial situations where you go to the the district meetings and you mingle with other ministers and their wives. And I think it's just that whole I don't know about you, but for me, it was like this intimidating factor. Like I did not feel like I measured up every minister's wife, every pastor's wife, whatever they presented. It was like, it was absolutely flawless. I think the best thing that ever happened to me was a state we was living in at one point. I went to the district superintendent's house to meet with his wife because she was looking over some writing I was doing. And I walked in. Her house wasn't perfect. It wasn't messy, but not everything was perfectly put in place. It kind of made me feel better because I really esteemed this person way high up. I had such godly nuggets of wisdom that I still value to this day. I just felt inferior. Like I didn't measure up. Yeah,
0: that's, that's exactly it. So my husband talked to Bishop that night and he told my husband, I saw this in her at the table. Meaning when we had met with him earlier in the day. So, but I didn't think we'd have to deal with this right now, but since you brought it up, then we'll deal with it. So my husband comes back and tells me that, well, I'm petrified because, you know, I'm like, what is he seeing in me? What is wrong with me? So ended up, we called him on our way home that Saturday from the conference. And we just talked over the car phone. Both my husband and I were on the phone with him. He's the one who told me, he said, you have shame in your life. And obviously he didn't know the source of my shame. And so he began to share his story which he publicly shares he was taken advantage of by neighborhood boy the boy was maybe 11 or 12 and bishop was five or six so he looked up to the boy wanted to play with him wanted him to be his friend and so they were just playing a game well his mother caught them and she shamed them she shamed her son for this and got on to him he got in a lot of trouble His dad was military. So when his dad got home from work that day, he knew how it worked that whenever I got in big trouble with mom, when dad came home, she told him then I got in even more trouble with dad. And so he said that day his dad came home, they both went to the bedroom and then they came out and nobody ever spoke about it again. They never talked to him about it. They never explained anything. He just felt all of that shame and he was left with that. It was never spoken of again until later on in his life, whenever God finally delivered him of his shame. So he's telling me these things and I'm racking my brain because I'm like, I was never abused. I've never been sexually abused. I wasn't abused physically by my parents at all. I grew up in a very loving home, a godly Christian home. He's talking and I'm just going through this. And the only thing that I could come up with that might cause me to feel this way was I just couldn't ever get it all perfectly right. I would go to church. And I would hear the the preachers preach and they would say, we need to pray and we shouldn't do these things and we should do these things. And I never could get all of that right. And I tried so hard. If they said, we're going to pray for this week and we're going to pray one hour a day, I would go wherever I was going to pray and I would pray for that solid hour, but it wasn't effective. I mean, it could have been hallelujah, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I was checking all the boxes for my whole life but I never truly developed a relationship with him because I didn't understand. And I felt like to have that relationship, I had to earn it and I could never earn it no matter how hard I tried. I would do good for a certain amount of time. And in that span of time that I was doing good, meaning I was praying every day, I was reading the Bible every day. I was trying to do the things that I thought God wanted me to do, be nice to people and not cheat, lie, steal, all those things. When I was doing all of those things, it was like I felt good about myself, and I felt like if God wanted to use me, that was good. But the second I made a mistake, the second that I missed a day of prayer, I had to spiral all the way to the bottom. i beat myself all the way to the bottom, and then I had to pay penance for it, basically. I had to be on myself. How could you do that? You've been raised in a pastor's home. How could you make a mistake like that? How could you not pray every day? You are taking all of this for granted. God's been so good to you. And it was just that. It was literally spiritual abuse. And I went through this cycle over and over and over where I would earn my way back up to a good place and then slam. I would go back down and then I would earn my way back up. And this is crazy, but I even thought at times whenever ministers would preach and they would talk about us casting our crown at his feet, I honestly had the thought, why do I have to throw that down on the ground. I worked so hard to get that. Every star in that crown, I earned that. I fed the homeless. I did, and, and people talk about those being stars in your crown. Now I think about that and I think that is so crazy and so far from what the truth is that I didn't earn any of that and I can never earn any of that. And until God shifted my thinking and healed me, Bishop told me that day on the phone, he said, when God begins to heal you of this, it's such a psychological change in you right. that if he did it instantly, you would literally go crazy. You would lose your mind because you won't even know who you are. And on the other side of this, months past all of this, it is so true. There's times my husband is just kind of shakes his head and it's like, I can't believe that you can do that. I can't believe that you can Even the fact that I'm on here today with you doing this interview, I would have shielded myself from that because I'm going to say something stupid or I'm going to, people are going to know this about me. But when you're free from all of those things, it doesn't matter. I want to tell everyone about this because I believe that there are thousands and thousands of people who live exactly the way I did and nobody talks about it. Right. We
2: all think they're perfect. You brought up a very important point that your bishop had said. And I think a lot of people really get the thing, especially when you're dealing with mental stuff, psychological, emotional stuff, not physical healings. I mean, those can come instantly and that's awesome, but you don't see the mental, you know, you don't see the psychological. It's kind of like air, you know, oxygen. We don't see oxygen. We feel it, but we definitely don't see it. And so I think he was right on when he says, it can't happen instantly because if it did, it would make you crazy because of such the change and that's how God does things. It's because it's the grace of God, because I know there's personal things on my life that I've struggled with over the years. And it's like, it had to be a gradual transformation because if it was instantaneously, as much as I wanted it to be instantaneous and happen probably last week, if it happened instantly, I couldn't have handled it. And also, if things like that happen instantly, how do we minister to others? There's just no way because we completely understand that process. So I think that what you hit on was absolutely correct. It has to be a process. So he
0: told me that day that I had to forgive and release myself for all of those things. And he said, whenever you get home, you go by yourself somewhere where nobody can hear you. And he said, God's going to begin to bring those things to your mind in rapid succession of what you're to forgive and release yourself for. And I did, and he did. And I began to, one of the major things that I said was, I forgive and release myself for not ever being good enough. I forgive and release myself for not being perfect. And I began to go down that list as God would bring things to my mind. And then the things got further and further apart. I had to sit longer for them to come. As you said, it wasn't instantly, but that began my journey. And I think because for the first time I was able to be honest with God, completely honest. And one of the things my husband was teaching a Sunday school lesson, and he talked about confessing our sins to the Lord. It's not that our view of confession is not exactly what it is. And whenever we confess, it is basically saying, God, I agree with you. You already know this. I agree with you that what I did was wrong. That was in my mind one particular day whenever I began to pray, and the Lord led me and helped me, and I began to tear down all of the little house of cards that I had built. He showed me that I had worked the fruit of the Spirit in my flesh because we have that ability. You can be nice to me, you can love me, but your motivation behind it is not coming from Him. The motivation is, I'm going to love you because I need that back from you. I need you to validate me, so I'm going to give you love, or I'm going to show mercy because if I'm the one who shows you mercy and you know you've done whatever and I show you mercy, then you're going to look at me as a really good person and you're going to think, wow, she's amazing, and I needed that. It wasn't just because I wasn't able to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life just because it was a product of the Spirit in me. I was manipulating all of those things, places where I didn't feel comfortable I would bring a gift or I would work extra hard in the kitchen when the dinner was done. People would just pat me on the back and I was just such a wonderful, you're such a hard worker. And that's the reason why I worked is because I needed the pat on the back. I wasn't working just because I wanted to help you. I was doing it because I needed you to have a perception of me. So God began to level me basically and point out all of those things to me and say, you did this, but this is why you did it. And this is why it's unfulfilling is because you're not doing it as a byproduct of my spirit. You're doing it for ulterior motives. So that day in prayer, I began to truly confess. And I said for the first time in my life, I am a wicked person. I'm not good. There's nothing at the core of who I am. I am truly wicked. And I believe every one of us, if we're honest, could say that. And I've said this to other people, if you don't think that you're truly a wicked person at the core of who you are, then let's play a game where every thought that runs through your head flashes on your forehead in front of everybody all day, every day, in every situation. And it reveals real quick that at the core, if we don't have him giving us the power to do what we can't do on our own, that's our nature. And it's not even really our fault. Because whenever you read the scripture, whenever we're born, we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And at the core of who we are, we got downloaded all that nasty stuff for free. It just came with the package and I couldn't do anything about it. The only thing I can do is let him help me to overcome that. But that's a part of, that's my nature. That's my sinful nature.
2: That makes me think of kids, our lovely children, you know, when they're born, they're so sweet and precious. But give them about a year, especially when they start talking, by two years, you ask them a question about, hey, did you take that cookie? And I mean, they may have crumbs all on around their mouth. No, I did take that cookie, but the evidence is definitely there. But who taught that kid to lie? It's just part of our nature.
0: And I think because of the way we're raised, especially if you're raised in the church, you're raised with the base ideas that you're basically a good person. And whenever you start lying or cheating or stealing and you're hiding it all because you don't want them to know because you know it's wrong, but you're still participating in those things. But yet you're thinking you're such a good person. And one of the things my husband said that kind of rocked my world was the only one that's ever surprised when we make a mistake is us. God is not at all surprised because he sees our fallen nature. That's the whole reason why the law was flawed in the beginning. He gave all these laws to the children of Israel. They couldn't keep them. They were constantly falling because they didn't have any help. And they were just trying to mark up to all the law. And finally, the Lord's like, okay, this is not working. I'm going to have to put my spirit in them to give them the power to overcome the flesh. And that day, whenever I was praying those things and I began to say I was wicked, I had a vision in prayer and it was me. And I knew that the Lord was there with me. I didn't see him, but I knew he was there as a figure, I guess I could say. And I was at an old-fashioned stone altar. And in my prayer time that day, I was beating my flesh down. That part of me that is not like Him, I did not want it to make decisions or to control my thoughts for the day, all those things. And I'm just praying in the Holy Ghost and I'm putting that flesh down and this vision comes in my mind and it's my flesh on that altar and I'm putting it there. I'm tying it there. It's going to die today. I'm not going to let it live. After a time in prayer, I felt like that was accomplished and it was like the Lord was walking away. So I turned from the altar and I was going to follow him basically into the day. And I turned back after we'd walked just a little bit, I turned back and looked at the altar. And when I did my flesh, I was already getting up off the altar. And I got so angry because I just spent all that time. And when I tell you, I spent time on I'd prayed for a long time, just beating that flesh down, and I was frustrated. It was like the Lord spoke to me and said, the second you get your flesh on the altar, it instantly begins to regenerate, and every decision you make throughout your day either brings it back faster or keeps it down longer. If I follow the Holy Ghost and I let it control, it's going to stay on that altar longer, But if I begin to feed my flesh, if I watch videos I shouldn't watch, if I talk about things I shouldn't talk about, if I don't discipline, don't don't take time to pray, all those things, that flesh just comes back faster. And that helped me so much to understand because so much of the time, if the pastor doesn't say it, then, then we can do it and it's all okay. But I have realized in me that there are things that I don't know why, but they bring my flesh back faster. If I participate in those activities, or if I read that book, if we line it up to the Bible, there's nothing sinful about it, but it does something to me. And I'm made up different than you, and you might be able to do it and handle it, but what it brings back in me, I have to fight my flesh so much harder when I participate in that. And that was huge for me to learn how to keep that down for longer.
2: Going back, because you grew up in a pastor home, did you ever feel like you had to measure up when you was growing up back then? The church I grew
0: up in, the people were absolutely wonderful. I never felt like I was being judged by them, but I don't even think that mattered because I was so hard on myself. And maybe that's why I never felt like they were judging me because I was already coming down. 10 times harder on myself. I wouldn't even have realized it if they were.
2: I asked that because it's not uncommon that in a minister's home that you feel like you live in a glass house and everything has to just from outwardly, I mean it could be falling apart on the inside, but outwardly it all it's like this added extra pressure. And I didn't know if you had felt that. I know in my own experience, I mean, I was never a pastor's wife, I was just a minister's wife, but still that pressure. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I know there's other ministers' wives out there that have experienced that. So I didn't know if that was that was your particular case. I honestly
0: can't say I ever felt that. I grew up. My parents, neither one of them, grew up in a pastor's home. The way that they handled all of those things, we weren't treated special. I mean, we we were the first ones to, at the workday, but yet we understood. We had. We were so blessed to be able to. I mean, we got to go sit at the table with the evangelist whenever he was preaching for us. I got to be there. They got to come to our house and I would get to hear all the stories. And so I just felt so blessed, which some of that probably added to my shame. I've never said that before because I felt like I'd been so privileged to be raised in a minister's home, a pastor's home. How could I not get it all right? I mean, I see these other people that they've been abused. They've never been in a home where their parents live for God. And here I am in a pastor's home, and I'm still not getting it right. And they're living for God, and they go home, and they get beat for it. Because I had been so blessed, it just added to the fact that I wasn't perfect. And I had been given perfection. I had been given the best of everything. My parents loved each other. My brothers, we all lived for God. Our church never mistreated us. They never came to my dad saying, your daughter's this, or that. It was never any of that. It was the perfect, honestly, the perfect situation. But even in the perfect situation, it just magnified my in, imperfectness, which probably was the root
2: of where all my shame came from. Like the insecurity, maybe? Yeah. You've gone through this whole process and I'm sure it's probably a continuation. I imagine it's, it's not over. It's not done because stuff still will crop up from time to time. But as those things do crop up, like, how do you handle that?
0: It's like Bishop told me that day, whenever he talked to me, he said, shame provides the devil constant access to you. He can access you anytime he wants to through that shame. And whenever God heals you from that, it closes that door. He no longer... Can access you like that. I can tell you that I have felt like he's twisted the doorknob before, but because of the work in my mind that God has done, I don't go back to that place. I no longer have the highs and the lows. And it's not that I don't make mistakes anymore, but whenever I make that mistake, I know it's only because I'm still living in this flesh. And this flesh is not going to heaven. That's why we have to be changed. Our flesh is sinful. And I understood Paul so much more whenever he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? He was fighting after I went through this process and I went back and read that. I was like, oh my word, Paul, you're doing exactly what I've been doing. You're so frustrated with that part of you that's not perfect. And you keep trying to perfect it and you can't just by my own ability. And it's extremely frustrating. Whenever I make a mistake now, I, I miss a day of prayer. Or I don't read the word or whatever the case might be. Those were huge ones for me because so much emphasis and importance is put on that. And whenever I mess up on those days, I get too busy or I allow other things to come. It's not right. And I know it's not right, but I don't have to pay penance for it anymore. I'm like, God, sorry. I put my will ahead of yours today and i'm sorry and i hate that please forgive me and help me tomorrow not to do that and that's it i'm forgiven and i actually believe that i'm forgiven now because of the shift in my mind that happened i don't go back to those dark places i repent i receive forgiveness i believe now that he loves me that was another thing in my journey in our prayer time husband taught it in Sunday school one day. And he said early, whenever you get down to pray, one of the first things you need to do is receive the love of God. And for some people, that's probably extremely easy, but I felt like you loved me based on my performance. So I couldn't ever receive God's love because I knew I couldn't perform perfectly for him. And so there's no way he loves me because I'm not perfect. So saying that that first time, I receive your love to me today. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it necessarily, but I just receive it because you have it and you give it. And so believing that he loves me and receiving that love and I'm saying all of these things and I know it was a supernatural work of God in my life. If you don't let his spirit do the work in you, along with all these things I'm saying, it's not like a 10 step program that you can just follow along the steps of what I'm saying. And voila, you're going to be free, it's not that, but we're also different that God has to deal with every one of us differently. And he wants to do that. He's so personal. He's so personal but receiving his love and realizing that he loved me. And I think about my own children and the word of God tells us how flawed our human love is, especially in comparison to God's love. And I think when my kids make a mistake, I'm not okay with the mistake they made. I'm not happy that they lied. I'm not gonna just sweep it under the rug. I have to teach them not to. But then when the day's over, I don't love them any less because they told a lie today. I don't love my other children more because they didn't lie today. And this one did. If anything, my compassion for them causes me to reach to them maybe a little bit more and say, it's okay. I understand. I know what you did and know why you did it. It's not okay, but let, let's not do that anymore and try to teach it. Once I understood that God wasn't up there with a big giant bat trying to not take me out every day, then I was able to receive his love and realize when I made a mistake, That's what his mercy is there for, to forgive me. And then I found my mistakes were getting further and further apart because of that relationship. I wanted to pray. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to pray what he needed me to pray for that day. And it was so freeing to be able to learn to pray in that way and approach him in that way and just receive his love to me.
2: Something you had said was that, you know, God is so personal and he approaches each of us different. Something I was thinking about as you was talking, I was thinking about people who go to the altar, like repeatedly over and over and over, and they struggle with whatever it is going on in their life. It's because it's those things that they still struggle with. And I always get very frustrated when I hear someone say, now I will just say this, I have a friend, I was going through something and I would just it was constant. I think she, you know, after a time, my friend was being my friend, because she just finally said, you just got to let that go. And that's what I needed in that moment. But I'm talking about somebody who they're coming to God, and they've got all this baggage. And you have these wonderful people in church who don't intentionally mean it, but they're sitting there saying, you've got to let that go we just got to leave it at the altar. And it's not always the easiest thing. And so I think that's really important what you had said about God works with each of us individually, because he knows right where we're at individually, what one person may have not had such a huge struggle with probably another person that was just I mean, if it came down to it, it would take them down. It would take them out. So I think that was just very vital how you mentioned that. I
0: think the most important thing that we can do whenever we ask God to forgive us is to act forgiven, to believe he's done it and to act forgiven and go forward from there. And I think that's why all those scriptures are put there, that he casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, because for us, it's the hundredth time whenever I ask him to forgive me, but for him, it's the first time again, He chooses to forget those things and chooses to love us. And I think it's so important to understand that we're flawed. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And what is an earthen vessel? It's literally translated there, an old clay pot. And if you take the dirt out of clay, you don't have anything left. There's nothing. We are made up of dirt And that's that human flesh part of us that is very flawed. If you go and read about the lust of the flesh and all of those things where it lists all of those sinful things that are part of our nature, when you can see yourself like that, it's almost like, it's no wonder. I mean, really, the miracle is that I get it right two days out of the week with all of that stuff I'm struggling through. And so, whenever you shift and you look at yourself like that through mercy and grace and that. It's a wonder any of us can do anything. We really can't. Let me take that back. The only way that we can make it is by the power of his spirit, him empowering me to overcome that flesh because that flesh is all consuming. Look at the world we're living in where people's flesh is going unchecked and God only knows where I would be, what I would do, or even what I'm capable of without his spirit governing and even putting his spirit is what puts the desire in me to seek after him. I always thought that desire was there because I was basically a good person. I always loved God. No, if he didn't even put that in me, we can't even come to him except he draw us. So if we're just talking about Mandy Elms, that's a whole lot of bad stuff there. And it's like when what I thought would destroy me because I had built this house of cards of I'm a good person and this was who I was and I built all of this house of cards. I thought blowing on that and leveling that would be the end of me. And in all truth, it was, it didn't do to me what I thought it would do to me. It let me be able to see myself for the first time as a very messed up human being. I didn't do anything to get that way. I just was born that way. And so whenever I saw myself as I was, it was almost like I went from beating myself and being abused for how terrible I was to being like, oh my word. I can't believe you've got this much right for all this time. It was a complete shift that the miraculous work of his spirit in me has empowered me to get it right all these days. And the day I messed up is because I didn't submit to him. I didn't get that flesh on the altar. I let it come back and I didn't do it. So I'm not ashamed of that anymore. Now all I say is, okay, I need to go repent for that. And I'm going to get it right tomorrow because I'm going to let him live and me not live. And that's the struggle Paul. When you see that and your eyes are open to that, you go back and read that in Romans and you're like, how did I not see, you know, why was Paul so frustrated? He was perfect in our eyes. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. He brought salvation to so many, preached to all those churches. God converted him from what he was to what he became an apostle. And he's still saying all this stuff about his flesh. If Paul's still saying all that, how much more you and I that haven't accomplished it. We didn't have that Damascus road where the light shined down and God spoke to us in an audible voice and blinded us. And if Paul is still frustrated with that fleshly part of him, it's okay that I have that, but I don't have to let it win. I don't have to let it control me. That's what the Holy Ghost is for. We had a man in our church that got the Holy Ghost and he had backslid as a teenager. He had been in the church somewhat, And then got out of the church and lived his whole adult life. And so he's maybe his fifties or sixties now. And he came back and he prayed through. And I remember talking to him that Sunday morning and I was just encouraging him and he was crying and he was so afraid that he wasn't going to be able to do this because in his mind, he knew what living for God meant. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. So that was his perception. So he was just crying because he knew he had received the Holy Ghost, but he was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. I don't know if I can stop all that stuff and start all of this stuff. But I told him, I said, that's what the Holy Ghost is for. I said, you're going to be surprised at how God helps you. So fast forward a week, we're sitting there talking and he's just shaking his head and he cries real easy. He's really emotional. And he said, Sister Elms, I never had any help before. He said, I'm amazed at how God has worked in my life. And he said, just never had any help before. And it was, it was beautiful to hear him say that. And it is the truth. When I see people begin to pursue God and they're trying to do it without his spirit living inside of them, it's frustrating. You can't do it. I mean, you can perform for a span of time, but it won't last because we can't. We don't
2: have the ability. That's exactly right. You know, I look at people and you're right. They can perform for extended period of time, but if it's not genuine, if it's not of God, they're going to eventually tire out. If it's genuine, if God's behind it, I mean, yes, they may get tired, but they still have that strength and that motivation to keep going. And to do what whatever it is that God has placed on their heart to do. So as we wrap up today, you know, any of my guests I have come on, I always ask them to talk to that person that is struggling. And so just speak to that person today that's dealing with shame. Speak to them.
0: If you've related to anything I've said today and you've lived with shame, I want you to know that there is freedom. And that freedom only comes through Jesus Christ. It only comes through you allowing him to give you that it is a process it is not instantaneously hopefully you can take the principles of the things that i've spoke about today and begin to apply those in your life and if you will allow him he will lead you on your journey he will lead you through what you need. the source of my shame is probably vastly different from yours but god can deliver from all of those and it is it is complete delivery i I've often said I see myself now as a little girl I have a mental picture as a little girl and I'm splashing around in huge fountains and it's water in the fountains but in my mind it's the cleansing blood of Jesus and I am so free from all of those things at this point God can choose to use me however he wants to and because of I have a very clear understanding of who I am I don't try to take credit for that because I know anything good in me is only because of him. And because of the freedom from my shame, he's more free to be able to use me. There is freedom. Don't settle for the abuse that you're living in right now, the mental torment. Seek him, seek his kingdom and go through the steps of the principles that I've talked to you about today and let him set you free and be delivered. It is so worth it. And it's not temporary. It is life-changing, life-altering. And I know that I'll never be the same. And you won't either, if you will allow him
2: to perform this work in you. Oh man, that was powerful. I had really enjoyed this interview today. I'm so thankful you've came onto the podcast and wanted to, to talk about shame and, and how that's impacted your life. I think this will be very powerful for a lot of different individuals, no matter where that shame comes from. Some people, the shame comes from childhood abuse. Some, it comes from dealing with eating disorders. Some, it comes from living with parents who expected the absolute perfect and for some people, they just could not reach those expectations, so I think this will really reach those individuals out there who are dealing with that shame, no matter what the source of that shame was.
0: Our bishop has taught a series on shame, and it's available on YouTube, and that was the other part of what he had me to go through. He talked to me the day that day in the truck, and then It's about a five lesson series. This is where he reveals a lot of where his shame come from, but also through the word of God, I had to work my way through those, that shame series and through all of that, through prayer and that teaching. It's so much word in there that I was able to be set free.
2: All right. Until next time, everybody, thank you again for listening to the Real Talk 238. If this has touched you, or if you know somebody who could use this information, please share the podcast with them.
1: Until next time, have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released if you would like to leave a comment or there is a topic you would like discussed on the real talk 238 podcast you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com you can also find the real talk 238 podcast on facebook and instagram listed as at the real talk 238 as a reminder the real talk 238 podcast is not a substitute nor does it replace therapy Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.